and I told you that most of the sermons this year would probably come from the Old Testament, but we're going to go this morning to Acts chapter number 27, your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter number 27. Four years ago, I preached from the Gospel of John, and we will step back into that particular passage uh, briefly this morning. But four years ago, I preached a sermon, Be of Good Cheer, uh, out of John chapter uh, number 16, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Be of Good Cheer, John, yeah, 16, 32, and 33. I preached that as we were making our way through John's gospel. I preached that four years ago. And I want to expound on that thought, Be of Good Cheer. And of course, that's what I've titled the sermon this morning, Be of Good Cheer. But we're going to go beyond John chapter number 16. And we're going to look at this phrase as it's found uh, several times in the New Testament. Acts chapter number 27, uh, verses 21 down through verse number, uh, let's read down through verse number 26. This is uh, dealing with a storm. Paul is um, on aboard a ship here, and uh, the storm arises in verse number 13. We're not going to read the entire portion of Scripture but we will pick up in verse number 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them, uh, on the ship, in the midst of this storm. He stood there in the midst of this crew and these passengers, and he said, You should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And so Paul had and tried to talk them into not traveling, but they ignored him and traveled anyway. And he says here, after being quiet for a lengthy time, he stands up and says, I told you so. Verse 22, but now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, just the ship, okay, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought forth before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. And then a good, that's a good little phrase there, is it not? Be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. That, that you ought to underline that, memorize it, hang it on the refrigerator, all right? That'll help you through the week. I, be of good cheer, I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So, Paul had tried to uh, discourage the sailing at this time, and they ignored his advice and set sail, and 
Now they're in this great storm, this tempestuous wind, and the ship is rocking back and forth, and they're not able to uh, drive the ship. They've got no control of the ship, and everyone is in panic. The crew and the passengers are in a panic, and finally Paul stands up and says, Well, I told you that we shouldn't have done this. However, God has told me that that every man will remain alive. Every man will stay alive. Be of good cheer. I believe God when he says, we all shall live. The ship will be lost, but we all shall live. There are several places in the Gospels in which Jesus dealt with troubled hearts and minds. Several places in the New Testament where Jesus deals with those that have troubled hearts and troubled minds. And I thought that this might be a, a good sermon for today because uh, the last two, maybe you didn't think it, but the last two Sundays on forgiveness were kind of, they're, they're kind of hard to swallow. If you didn't hear those two sermons on forgiveness, please make your way over to YouTube or to Facebook and find those sermons and, and, uh, and watch them. And I figured that this would be a good sermon to follow up those two. Jesus told these people several times throughout the New Testament to be of good cheer. He knew that they needed courage. He knew that they needed encouragement. He, they, he knew that they needed to be encouraged. And so he would say to them, be of good cheer. People who need to be bolstered in their hearts. They need to be encouraged. They need to be, they need a pep talk. Uh, they need, they need uh, to be strengthened in their minds and they need to sum up the courage and the bravery and the strength to press on and to press forward and to keep going and that's what we find throughout the New Testament people that are disheartened and discouraged and people that are afraid and people that are dis depressed and we find that Jesus gives this message to be of good cheer to bolster their hearts and their minds and to help them to press on and press forward. We all need that. Now, whether you need it this morning or not, that's another, uh, that's beside the point. We, we all need it from time to time. If you don't need it today, if, you, if, you're, if you're fine today and your heart is not discouraged and you're not living in fear and you're not living in chaos right now, everything is fine for the time, that's good. Remember this for down the road because we all need this. Like we all needed the sermons on forgiveness, we all need these, this sermon on encouragement and cheer and and. Uh, and uh, uh, our hearts bolstered. We, we, if we don't need it today, we'll need it tomorrow. Cheer in these New Testament texts is, is not so much about laughing and smiling and grinning, but it's about a heart that has been bolstered and encouraged and, and has received courage in difficult times, okay? When Jesus says, be of good cheer, he doesn't follow up with a joke. He's not trying to make people laugh, okay? He's not even really trying to make people smile. But he's trying to bolster their heart and bolster their mind and give them courage and help them to, 
to, to have the bravery uh, and the gumption to press on. When the heart has that courage, it is much easier to smile when the heart has that courage. But that's not the goal. You understand what I'm trying to say? The goal is Jesus is not trying to make you laugh, okay? He's not being a, a stand-up comedian. He's not, he's not making a funny face to try to get you to smile. That's not the goal. The goal is to bolster the heart, to give courage, to give bravery, to press on, to give determination to the heart, to press on. And when you have that, when you have that, you may very well smile. But the primary usage of the word cheer in these texts this morning has more to do to give illustration of people shouting encouragement from the sidelines. Cheering, we call it cheering on their competitor. Or cheer, or not their competitor, their... Uh, the, 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 their hero, okay, for like a better word, cheering on their team. All right, that, we, we say I'm, I'm cheering on my team. And, and you, what you do is you shout encouragement from the, from the, uh, from the sideline. Um, I, I remember many, many years ago, um, uh, Aaron had an um, amateur boxing match. And uh, he, he did very well, but it was because I was there cheering him on and telling and giving him instructions what to do. And uh, he knocked out the WVU head boxer and knocked him clear out on the mat. But I've got the video and watch it every so often. And he's up there boxing. And I'm down there, of course, right next to the camera. And I'm saying, box. Box, Aaron. Box. I say that probably 25 times. Box. And uh, what I was doing in my own way is I was, I was bolstering his mind and his heart, cheering him on, telling him what he needed to do. All right. So when we talk about be of good cheer, think about being encouraged from the sidelines. Being encouraged from the sidelines. Come on. You can do it. Go, go, go. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep going. You got this. You got this. Press on. Press forward. Faster. More. Harder. Go. Think of that. Okay? Think of that. And so we have four separate texts this morning. And they are the equivalent of God cheering us on. And God encouraging us. And God bolstering our hearts and minds. And uh, God giving us courage to continue to move forward. Ethan, will you go get me a, a, a bottle of water and a couple paper towels? Matthew chapter 9, if you will. Matthew chapter 9. And we're living in a day. We're living in a day in which we're going to need this cheer. We're going to need this encouragement on a regular basis. God's people are going to have to be bolstered with bravery. They're going to have to be bolstered with encouragement. They're going to have to be cheered to press on. We're, we're, we're living in a day of great apostasy in which those that have been in church for many years and those that call themselves Christians and believers are falling away at an alarming rate. That's what apostasy is. 
those who said they were Christians, those who were raised up in church, those who were religious are falling away at an alarming rate. And the Bible has told us that it would be this way, that men would depart from the faith in the last days. And these are the days that we're living in. And we're going to need this encouragement and this bolstering and this, this cheering for us to press on and to be faithful. Thank you, sir. Matthew chapter 9. Let's just look at verses 1 and 2. Jesus entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. All right, now then Jesus goes on and heals this young man, and he rises up and walks. But the first thing we see here is that Jesus encourages us when we are burdened with sin. All right? Not all burdens are uh, of the material and external kind. All right? There are times that we are burdened down with our own sin. Now listen, there's a lot to this young man's story that we do not know. A lot that we do not know. But there are two things that we do know about this young man. Sin and sickness are Siamese twins. They're connected and always will be connected. Now hear me closely. Hear me closely. It's vital that you hear me closely. Sin and sickness are like Siamese twins. They're connected and always will be connected, either directly, now listen, or indirectly. One of the reasons that we deal with sickness is that we live in a sinful fallen world. Adam and Eve, in that Garden of Eden, in that life of perfection, would have never dealt with any type of sickness. Their bodies, their organs would never have aged, would never have deteriorated, they would have never caught a bug or a virus. Never. But once sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, then death, and of course sickness, and aging, and deterioration. And so sickness always is indirectly related to sin. All right? You got that? But sin can also be directly related. A sickness can also be directly related to sin. In other words, in other words, your sin can cause your illness. Whether it be a result of your own actions, such as you smoke two packs a day for 40 years, your lung cancer is a result of your choices, okay? You drink to drunkenness and you get in a car and wreck and kill somebody or kill yourself, that is a result of your choices. 
There are things that we do, you know, uh, things that we eat that give us high blood pressure, high cholesterol. No doubt there are things that we do uh, that uh, give us cancer. And so there is a direct correlation with sickness and choices. And there also is a direct correlation with sin and sickness. There can be. There can be. We don't know the story of this young man. We do know that there is a connection between sin and sickness. In fact, I believe it's the book of James. When a man needs to be healed. And he's told to confess his sins. And then to be pray, anointed and prayed for. Why confess his sins? In case his sin was a, 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 his sickness was a direct result of his sin. And maybe, maybe, maybe it was a, a, a chastisement of God. Listen, listen. Anything, anything that happens to you bad, the first thing you should do is check yourself and see whether this might be the hand of God upon you for your sin. Is God chastening me for my unrepentant, rebellious sin? That's the first thing you ought to do in every case. Now the second thing here that we know about this young man is that his sins were weighing heavy upon his heart and mind. As sin has a tendency to do. And so it would seem that there was a... this. It would seem... By what Jesus said to this young man, it would seem as though there was a direct connection between his sin and his suffering of paralysis. And because his sin had not been forgiven, it weighed heavily upon his heart and mind, and it had taken from him all heart, all cheer, all courage. He was defeated. I imagine one who is carrying around the weight of sin that he does not know what to do with. Guilt that he cannot shake off from him. The knowledge that sin has wrecked havoc in his life. The knowledge that sin has wrecked havoc in the lives of those that he loves. Come on, we know that. We know that no man is an island unto himself, and when we sin, it doesn't just affect us. You say, well, I'm just only hurting myself, or this is just me and nobody else. No, our sin affects those we love, and it hurts those around us. Imagine carrying around the weight of sin, the guilt that you cannot shake, the knowledge that you've wrecked havoc. What's a man to do? What is a man to do? Always looking over his shoulder, afraid of his own shadow. Can't sleep because of a tortured conscience. That man or woman needs the forgiveness of sins by the one who died for sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's happened in our text. This young man was forgiven of the horrible things that he had done. And he was given, at this point, courage and bravery to carry on. And he was healed. And he was healed of his physical ailment. But it was his sin that Jesus dealt with. 
In fact, when they complained, he said, what's easier to say to a man, thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise up and walk? So Jesus, in this Matthew 9, verses 1 and 2, dealt with this man's sin. And he said to him, be of good cheer, because this young man was discouraged by his sin. He was defeated by his sin. He was weighed down by his sin. He was burdened by his sin. Psalm 32 and verse number 1, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, or cheerful is the man whose sins have been forgiven, whose transgressions have been forgiven, whose sins are under the blood. If you're saved this morning, if your sins have been forgiven, then you are a blessed person, and you ought to smile, and you ought to say, Amen, praise God, hallelujah. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David, King David, described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. David understood. He understood when God imputes upon us his righteousness. Christ lived a perfect life. He lived a holy life. And for those that come to him in faith and repentance and confession, he takes his life of righteousness and he puts it on us like he would put a coat on us. And then he will take our sin and he puts it on himself. He exchanges our sin for his righteousness. And David said, blessed is that man who God has taken your sin and put it upon his son, Jesus Christ, and he's taken his son's righteousness and put it on you. Amen. And if you are living a life of guilt of your sin, guilt of your past, guilt of what you've done to others, and your sin has not been forgiven, you've not trusted in Christ, You've not confessed to him and repented and given yourself to him. Then you need that. And we can say to you, be of good cheer. Your sins are now forgiven. And it works the same with a believer. A believer, listen, I, I, I've said many times, I've heard others say it many times, the most miserable person in the world is the child of God who has not dealt with his sin. With the backslider who has slidden backward and is refusing to deal with his sin. He's the most miserable. Maybe it's your sin that's got you down today and discouraged and you can't sleep because of your sin. 
I want you to know there's forgiveness, and then you can be cheered by that forgiveness. Your heart can be bolstered. You can walk upright. You can smile. Because you are blessed. Secondly, go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Verses 22 to 27. Matthew 14, 22. Straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. There's one thing we can say about the disciples in this text. And I want you to get this and I want you to understand this. They were right where they were supposed to be. They were right where they were supposed to be. They were not in any kind of disobedience. They were not in any kind of sin. They were not running from the will of God like Jonah. Remember, Jonah ran from the will of God. And remember, he ended up in, in a stormy sea on a, on a ship that was sinking. And they were throwing everything overboard to try to save it. That was because of Jonah's sin and he was running from God. But not every storm is because you're running from God. Not every storm is because you're in sin. These disciples had not just eaten the forbidden fruit. They were right where God had put them, doing exactly what he told them. And they run into a tremendous and trying storm. And in the midst of their stress and danger, they encounter fear. I, I don't know about you, but you know, you've seen either documentaries or movies about or shows about ships on the sea, fishermen, and the storms that rise up. I mean, just rock the boat and water comes over the hull and just if you know if you're not tied down I mean that's where we get the term I believe batten down the hatches you're going to be tossed overboard and is there anything more fearful and frightening than being tossed in the midst of the sea was it Paul that was a couple of days floating in the deep I couldn't do it I'd have a heart attack 10 minutes into it couldn't do it absolutely not I took uh, my oldest boys uh, we were down we had friends right down here just just on this road here broccoli down right on the lake they had a beautiful home on the lake and a dock and and they let us come down and swim and play in the in the water and uh, I, I guess it was me and Aaron and Isaac I believe and they they said let's swim across the lake I said okay that sounds fun we'll swim from the dock over to the marina and I got probably I don't know 50 or 60 yards into that swim and something brushed the bottom of my feet 
and I almost literally walked on water getting back to the dock. I mean, I was screaming like a little girl. And I think it was nothing more than seaweed, but it scared me. And I literally turned around and like motorboated myself back to the, to the shore. I couldn't do that in the deep stuff. No, I couldn't do that. Uh-uh. Um, but these men, they had a ship. They were trying to keep upright. And, 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 and it was stress, and it was danger, and it was fear. And they were right with God. They were doing exactly what he said to do, and they were going exactly where he said to go. This was not a Jonah incident. Even our opening text, Paul warned them, don't do it, and they went against his word. It's nothing like that. They were right with God. Christians can encounter these things while living in obedience to God. They can encounter stress. They can encounter danger. They can encounter fear. They can encounter discouragement. Even while they are right with God, living in the will of God, doing that which is holy and righteous, they can come across these type of things. But in verse number 27, Jesus comes near and he banishes their fear and he instills in them courage. And that's what this is. Be of good cheer. He's not telling a joke and making them laugh. What he's doing is he is banishing fear. He's banishing, banishing discouragement and stress. And he's instilling in their heart and mind courage. If you're not living in obedience and devotion to God, if you're not living in holiness and obedience to God, you should expect stress, danger, fear, trouble. But if I were you, I would not expect God to banish your fear and instill you with courage. If you're living in rebellion to him. Jonah, listen, Jonah knew better. Jonah knew better than to pray and ask God to still the storm. He knew it was because of him. And he said, just throw me overboard and everything will be all right. Of course, he... He didn't know better to get right with God until three days in the belly of a whale. Again, how long you got to be down there before you get right with God, huh? Really? How long you got to be down there before you get right with God? So I, I guess I'm saying a couple of things here. I'm saying one, if you're living in sin and rebellion against God, if you're living in unrepentant sin, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have problems, you're going to have issues, you're not right with God, and I wouldn't pray and ask Him to help you with your troubles when you won't get right with God. In fact, if you're not living in obedience and devotion, I would expect you will experience more trouble more often and get no encouragement and no help from your Heavenly Father until you cry out to Him in repentance. 
Why would God calm your heart and instill courage into your heart and mind if you're not repentant? He's not going to. But for those trying to walk in obedience and those trying to live in devotion to God, those people who, as far as they know, they're right with God, they try to stay right with God, they love God, they're trying to follow God, for those people, when you experience trouble and stress and danger and fear, I want you to know God is saying to you, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, child. Carry on. Keep going forward. Isaiah 41, 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. I preached this a month or so ago. Fear thou not, I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. I will hold thee by the right hand of my righteousness. A month ago I preached on this, out of the fear not title. Psalm 46, 1-2, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. There's a verse you ought to underline, memorize, and hang on the refrigerator. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will we not fear, though the earth be removed oh brother and sister remember this in these days remember this in these days God is a present help and we should not fear our hearts should be cheered and encouraged and bolstered though all else fail about us God is our rock God is the cleft of the rock. God is our buckler and our salvation. God is our strong tower. Third, John 16. This is the passage we were in four years ago, John 16. Verses 32 and 33. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Remember, we dealt with this four years ago. The disciples in the garden with Jesus and then he says, those that have come to rest me, are, they're here, they're coming, let's go. Let's go meet them. And remember that great band of men, great band of Roman soldiers, great band of Jewish leaders, bunch of onlookers, torches, clubs, swords, pitchforks, all kinds of weapons, marching through the middle of the night, to arrest Christ. It must have been a frightening scene. It must have been a frightening scene. And you know what all of those men did. You know what all of those men did. All of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The 11 that were left. 
You know what they did? And he, 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 he warns them what will happen. They were all scattered into the night. Like, like when you turn a light on and the cockroaches run. This great army of Romans and Jews came in the night. And they all scattered into the night. Fear! And Jesus tells them in verse 33, this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. The world will hate you. And in the world you're going to have much tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Jesus is filling his disciples in on what is about to happen immediately and what will happen down the road. What is about to happen is he will be arrested and they will flee. Out of fear for their own lives, they'll scatter. And then later they're going to scatter into the world to preach the gospel. And they're going to face the same type of fear. Everyone is in this together. Until trouble shows up, right? And then it's every man for himself. But this is a foretaste of what these disciples are going to face. This is a test run. This is a trial run. They're going to face worse than this. They're going to face worse than this. Not only for these disciples, but for every disciple of Christ down through the ages right up until today. In the world, we're going to have tribulation. And I'm talking about tribulation because... Not just like the last point, we have trouble in the world. I'm talking about tribulation that comes from the world because we are Christians. That type of tribulation. Because we love God. Because we speak the truth. Because we preach the Bible. Because we declare Christ. We're going to have trouble for that. Brother and sister, there will come a day, and we've talked about there will come a day, it's not yet, I don't believe it's yet, but there will come a day in which these cameras will be shut down. And these sermons will be just to our family. Because, listen, they are already watching and they are already listening. And it will not be wrong, it will not be long. Trust me on this, when preachers will begin to be arrested and charged with hate crimes for what they preach. And there will come a day in which there will no more longer be a Facebook Live and a YouTube Live. We'll just be preaching to us and encouraging us. We'll not be giving the enemy any ammunition. The day will come. The world has and will continue to put pressure and persecution upon the believer. Some centuries have been worse than others and have flowed deep with the blood of saints. Other centuries have been peaceful and have seen the blossoming of the saints and churches. But we're headed into a time of pressure and persecution in our nation.
We've been at ease in Zion now for too long. And tribulation's coming. I know you may tire of hearing it. But one day you'll realize that the warnings were correct. But Jesus stands on the sidelines cheering us on. Giving us encouragement. Filling our hearts with courage to press forward in the face of persecution. Do you realize, do you understand that today in other parts of this world, your brothers and sisters in Christ are sneaking to church? The underground church, and of course in times past it used to be underground, used to be in the catacombs, used to be in the tombs and in the sewers, is where they would meet. The term underground church is just stuck. But there are people secretly making their way to a church somewhere. And they are either singing very quietly or they're not singing at all for fear of being detected. That is happening today. Today. Your brothers and sisters are suffering. But Jesus stands on the sidelines. Giving encouragement given us courage, given us boldness to press on. Over 2,000 years, many saints have faced off with the worst persecutions, with unexplainable courage and resolve in their hearts. It's been 10 years since, 10 years this month since Aaron and I were in London, England, and uh, very, I, I remember it very ironic when Aaron mentioned to me on the 4th of July. Do you realize that today is the 4th of July and where we are, we are in England? So, oh, I guess I hadn't thought about that. But it was 10 years. And Aaron, I don't know if you remember that little, I can't remember the place, but that little round garden spot. It probably was, the whole garden, walled garden, was probably the size of this auditorium, maybe a little smaller. And it was a memorial to the believers that had suffered and died, had been persecuted, and had been martyred in that very spot. And we stood there, and we prayed. We prayed for boldness and courage to press on in this type of persecution as our brothers and sisters did in years past. I went back home to the, to the um, uh, little room we were staying in. What are they called? The little... Anyway. And I lay on my bed that night and I had a book that I had picked up and I read just so happened to read about some of those Christians that were killed in that very garden circle where we had stood and prayed that day. It was not just Daniel who faced the lion's den with courage. It was not just the three Hebrews who faced the burning fiery furnace with courage. Most of the disciples faced a martyr's death. Almost all but one faced a martyr's death. And down through the centuries, tens of thousands of believers have faced the worst tortures ever. And they faced him with courage. They were burned at the stake, praying to God. Not screaming, but praying peacefully. 
As the lions were released, they stood there and they sang hymns with courage as they were torn asunder. Because they knew that Jesus had already overcome the world. And they knew that soon the tables would be turned. Even today. Believers. Lose their necks. To the sword. For their faith. Thank God for the courage and cheer that he shouts to us through our storms or whispers to us moments before death. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's cheer. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Lastly and quickly, Acts 23. Well, I'm not going to take the time to read. I, I wish I... Acts 23, sometime read the first 14 verses, and you'll see the tumult, the chaos surrounding the Apostle Paul. And in verse number 11, and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Sometime read Paul before the council here. Maybe go home and read chapter 23, verses 1 to 14, about the chaos surrounding the apostle Paul. And the Lord reassured him that night, don't worry Paul, you're going to get out of here because I've got a job for you at Rome. Be of good cheer. Be bolstered. No matter what happens out there, no matter what happens between now and then, understand this. You're going to live. You're going to live. Because I need you in Rome. I'm going to use you in Rome. Quickly, there are times in our lives in which everything is loud, chaotic, confusing, pressing, you don't know top from bottom and you don't know left from right. If you've ever been on a bodyboard or a boogie board in the Atlantic Ocean, you know exactly what that's like. You get tossed around by those waves and you're underwater and you have no clue which way's up. And sometimes in life, it's so chaotic, it's so loud. It's so pressing that we don't know which way is up. We're being pulled back and forth. It seems like we're being tossed and torn asunder. And at one point we had life all planned out and perfect plan. We had the day planned out and perfect day. And now it's just a massive confusion. It's a massive uncertainty. 
Evidently, Paul had lost heart and direction and confidence in all this tumult that surrounds him in this chapter. All this chaos surrounding him. And evidently, he lost heart. He'd lost courage. He lost confidence. What Paul needed was for God to cheer him on. Encourage him. Give him the confidence that his future is in the hand of God. And not just, brother and sister, not just is your future in the hand of God, but your day is in the hand of God. Your week is in the hands of God. This encouragement from Jesus came to a man who by his own testimony had been living in good conscience before God. If you can honestly say that you've been living in good conscience toward God, I pray that when your life becomes chaotic and confusing and you feel like you're being torn asunder, unsure about your future, tossed back and forth, don't know up from down, I pray that God would come alongside you, brother and sister and encourage you for the uncertain journey ahead. Whether it's a day ahead or a week that you've got ahead of you that's just so chaotic and confusing, whether it's a month, your whole life, I pray that God will come alongside you and encourage you. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Proverbs 16, 9, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Proverbs 20, 24, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man understand his own way? I pray God comes alongside you and cheers you. I pray that he shows you, listen, listen, I'm, I'm going on ahead. And when you get there, I'll be there. I've got your back. I'm watching behind. I've got a sermon. I'll preach it again one of these days. Where is God? Where is God? He's in front. The Bible says he's in front. He's going on ahead of you. When you get there, no matter how chaotic, he'll be there. Where is God? He's behind you. He's got your rear reward. Rear reward. <laughs> I, can't, I can never say that word. Re. Forget I ever brought it up. It's a good old King James word. It means he's got your back. Even when I'm looking at it, I can't say it. Where's God? He's upholding you from beneath. He's upholding you. He's, he's under you. Supporting you, sustaining you. Where is he? He's above where blessings come down. Where is he? He's beside you as a friend. Holding your hand, telling you not to be afraid. May you be of good cheer this week. Whatever lies ahead, may God cheer you. Whether it's persecution, uncertainty, tumult, may God cheer you. And if it's your sin that's caused you so much trouble, may he save you, forgive you, and put blessedness into your heart and mind. May God bless the teaching and preaching of his word. Let's pray.